Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I am a yoga teacher with many years of experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is to show you how to get confident, speak clearly, feel authentic, grow your impact, earn your worth, and build a community. For years, I've been working with teachers in my signature program, the Yoga Anatomy Blueprint Learning Program, and I've seen so many teachers transform, and I can help you get there too. On the podcast, you'll hear anatomy lessons, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. In addition to the podcast, don't forget to also follow me on Instagram and TikTok for daily videos on teaching topics. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. Let's get into today's episode. Hi there. My name is Karen Fabian, and I am your host. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. Uh, It is so great to be with you, and thank you so much for listening. I am recording this on February 16th, 2023, and this will go live the following Monday, which is the 20th. So we are moving through February and just kind of motoring through this year, almost uh, at March, which is just kind of once we get through March, end of the first quarter. So I wonder how things are going for you with your teaching. I would love to know. So send me a DM. Let me know how things are going with your teaching, how long you've been teaching. I've been really loving conversations I've been having lately in the DMs on Instagram. And so always know that when you join me on Instagram, the first thing you're most likely going to get from me is an email. And I personally send them or a DM. Uh, I don't use anything automated. I don't have an assistant that does this. It is 100% me and 100% because I want to know about you, how you found me, what interested you about my page, how long have you been teaching, how are things going? My whole vibe is that I am here to help you. And that's why when people join me on Instagram, I love to reach out to them and find out more about them and, you know, how things are going. So if you've gotten one of those DMs and you've thought it was spam or a robot or a bot or something, a conversation starter that's automated, nope, that's me. Matter of fact, um, a couple of times I get teachers that respond back and they say, oh my God, you're a real person. I'm like, yes, I am a real person. So uh, so welcome. Welcome to today's show. This is going to be kind of a short anatomy lesson, and I'm going to be focusing on the shoulders. And if you've been listening for a while, you know that my content is, of course, focused on yoga teachers, and you're probably a yoga teacher listening here. And it really goes into a bunch of different avenues. So sometimes I talk about anatomy. Sometimes I talk about teaching skills. Sometimes I have a guest on the show. I talk about mindset. I talk about um, neuro-linguistic programming. I talk about neuroscience. You know, there's just a lot wellness, overall um, health and wellness topics. I love talking about limiting beliefs and manifestation. So there's just a lot of different areas that I go into. And 
um, going into anatomy is just one of those avenues. And of course, because you're a teacher, um, this is something that you need to know about. There's just no, no two ways around it. When I work with teachers in my program, one of the, one of the terms that I use inside my program, uh, is why words, you know, and it has to do with understanding the why behind your cue. And that always lives in the anatomy, even if there's an additional reason for the why behind your cue. And maybe that has to do with somatics or energetics or uh, alignment or something else. But there's always a common thread of the need for us as teachers to understand movement. And the shoulder joint is definitely a joint in the body, right? And it's one that people cue to a lot and sometimes don't know what they're talking about or what they're saying. And this can lead to confusion on the part of the student. And it can really lead to a gap in the teacher between what they're saying and what they know. And that's the gap that needs to be filled for you to be a confident teacher. You know, it's not really a big mystery about how to build confidence. <clears throat> and <clears throat> even though it's not a big mystery, I get that question more often than not. Matter of fact, I would say out of the hundreds of conversations I've already had this year with different teachers, the number one thing that they always say they want more of is confidence. And yet it's really interesting to me because many times when I reach out to them to share what is the source of that confidence and how can you fill that gap, they sort of fall off. And, you know, I, I, in terms of the conversation, and I sort of feel like, you know, people sometimes think that confidence lies in some sort of either quick fix or some sort of shiny object. And I hate to say it, it just doesn't. It really comes from knowing what you're talking about, because that's what you're doing as a teacher. You're standing there coaching people through a movement-based practice movement equals anatomy, you know anatomy, you're confident. Now, you can know a lot about anatomy and still be terrified. And I don't discount that as being a valid experience. And there definitely are other limiting beliefs that can get in the way of the most knowledgeable teacher on anatomy that can get in the way of that person showing up confidently. So it's not a unidirectional thing. However, because 90% of what we're doing is talking people through the practice. And of course, I'm going to hold out a caveat. If you are practicing with your class, that's not what you're doing. You're practicing with your class. And that's a, a totally different framework for teaching yoga. Um, it's not one that I uh, encourage teachers to do. If you're doing it, um, that's completely up to you. I would say that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is teachers who are doing what I call the walk and talk, which involves walking around the room, sharing cues, or even just standing at the front of the class. So you have a really good outlook on the whole class and talking them through the sequence. And to do that, you absolutely need to understand anatomy. So let's take a look at the shoulder joint. And, you know, before I go into this, of course, it's audio only. And I remember years ago when I was starting this podcast, my father said to me, how the heck are you going to do a podcast where you talk about anatomy when all you have available to you is your voice? And I kind of laughed and I said, you know what? <laughs> I'm not exactly sure. 
I really do feel though, this is another medium for how I can share this information. And I will say that as you're listening, of course, if these terms and these muscle names are unfamiliar to you, um, that's going to be something that you can look up afterwards. I want you though, to just sort of relax your mind and just allow the words and the conversation to just sort of flow into your brain and just use it as another way to absorb information. And then of course, um, you can go just look up the shoulder joint online and just, you know, match up a picture to what you see after we talk. So let's take a look. This is not going to be an exhaustive thing. This is going to be um, a review. I've selected certain muscles and I want to give a shout out to, if you are listening and you are currently in my program, the yoga anatomy blueprint learning program, which is about way more than just anatomy. I'm actually thinking of changing the name, but if you're in my program, which is about building your confidence and the skills that go with it, Uh, as a yoga teacher, I want to give you a shout out, uh, number one, for being in the program. And I also want you to use this episode as an opportunity for you to test your knowledge, because all of what I'm sharing here is, of course, part of what we go over in the program. So here we go. So we're going to take a look first at pectoralis minor and pectoralis major. So these are on the anterior shoulder, meaning the front. And if you take your right hand and you put your right hand on your heart, over your heart, your hand's going to be over your, um, or touching your clavicle and over, I, I guess I could say over your scapula, but your scapula of course is on your back, but covering the front of the scapula. So if you were to look at someone from the front and could look straight through them, if it was just a skeleton, you would see the scapula. So when you take your right hand, you put it on your heart, you're covering right where pectoralis minor and pectoralis major are. So they run generally from the uh, from the clavicle and they run down the sternum and they insert on the shoulder joint. And the minor of pec is under the major. So pectoralis major is on top. Now, when we look at the function of pectoralis major and minor, we're looking at actions like shoulder flexion, which is taking the arm up in the air, shoulder adduction, which is moving the arm closer to the midline as if you were coming into eagle pose, and also a little bit of medial or internal rotation. If you were to take your arm and turn it inward, and that's what we typically see when we hunch. So those are the functions of pectoralis major and minor, and they are collaborators. And it sort of makes sense because they both are pectoralis muscles that they are collaborators. Another word for collaborators are synergists, meaning muscles that do the same thing and they tend to be in the same neighborhood. So in the case of pec minor and pec major, they absolutely are in the same neighborhood, sort of like glute medius and gluteus minimus. They are literally in the same neighborhood. They cover the lateral aspect of the hip. One is more anterior, one is more on top of the other one. Okay, so that's number one or two of them. The next muscle on the anterior shoulder is the subscapularis, the subscapularis. And this is part of the rotator cuff group of four muscles. The subscapularis is sub underneath the scapula. So if you look at someone from the front, or if you look at a skeleton from the front and you see through the rib cage, the inside of the scapula, it's kind of like a fossa or, or a shallow cup, a shallow indentation. 
the subscapularis sits right in there. And the subscapularis is responsible for internal rotation. So what's the muscle I just said that was responsible for internal rotation as well? Pectoralis minor and major. So all three of these muscles are synergists in the joint action of internal rotation. Now we don't do a lot of postures where we're intentionally asking people to internally rotate their shoulder. But if you think about thread the needle, or if you think about child's pose, if you have people take their arms back, uh, the shoulders are in internal rotation. Okay, so next muscle is the deltoid. So if you take your left hand and you reach across your body and put your left hand covering the lateral aspect of your shoulder, like a little cap sleeve, that's where your deltoid is. And your deltoid is divided up into an anterior, a medial, and a lateral portion. I'm sorry, anterior, lateral, and posterior portion. So front, middle, and back. And the anterior deltoid uh, also is responsible for shoulder flexion and medial rotation and adduction. So it's also a synergist with pec minor and pec major. And the middle portion, the lateral aspect of the deltoid is responsible for taking your arm out to the side, like in warrior two. And that is considered or called, it's not considered, it is shoulder abduction, abduction. And then the um the posterior aspect of the um, deltoid is responsible for external rotation and extension. So its synergists are muscles like the um, latissimus dorsi, the triceps. They also collaborate with it in shoulder extension, which is taking the arm back like an airplane. And also external rotation, it collaborates with muscles I'll tell you about next. The next muscle is an external rotator and it's called the infraspinatus. And the infraspinatus is also part of the rotator cuff. The infraspinatus sits on the back of the scapula. So if you look at a skeleton from the back, the whole back of the scapula under the spine, so not the top part, but the top and the bottom of the scapula is divided up by the spine, which is that bony prominence that sticks out that you can sort of feel when you reach back with your right hand for your scapula, you can feel that bony part that sticks out. <clears throat> Underneath that is the infraspinatus. And the infraspinatus runs from the scapula over to the humerus, which is your upper arm bone. <clears throat> and because of its placement on the humerus, when it contracts, when it concentrically contracts, it externally rotates the shoulder. An external rotation of the shoulder would be if you have your arm hanging by your side and you turn your palm forward, which is supination, that is external rotation of the shoulder. We see this in airplane, we see this in dancer's pose, we see this in up dog. The collaborator of external rotation for the infraspinatus or the synergist is the teres minor. And the teres minor is a littler muscle and it runs again from the scapula to the humerus. And again, because of its placement on the humerus, it is also going to externally rotate the shoulder. So now we've got the um, posterior aspect of the deltoid, the infraspinatus and the teres minor all collaborating to create external rotation. And then on the top of the shoulder, so if you take your left hand and you put your left hand on the top of your shoulder and you press down, you're going to feel most likely the trapezius. We'll get to that in a second. But underneath the trapezius is the supraspinatus. I believe it's, it's um, 
inferior, not superior to the trapezius. And it sits in a little fossa, which is like a little indentation uh, that is on the top of the shoulder and inserts on the humerus. And because of how it lies, it's kind of like a long uh, flat muscle. It acts to take the arm out to the side, like in warrior two. And if you remember before, when I said warrior two and the muscle that takes the arm out to the side, which is shoulder abduction, I was speaking about the middle deltoid. So that means the middle deltoid and the uh, supraspinatus are both doing the same thing. So they are again, synergists. So I wanna just take a moment here and I wanna just ask you, how are you doing with all of this? Like, I need you to know that I am literally just sitting here at my desk, just rattling this off because this is what I know. And if you're listening to this and you're like, holy shit, there's no way I could never know this. That is a belief that is not true. You absolutely can know it. And if you have tried to know this kind of stuff, number one, I see you and I can appreciate that sometimes it can be frustrating, but I want you to know that you've probably just not been learning it the right way. And the way that I teach this kind of stuff is a step-by-step -step way with my teachers. And I promise you, when you learn anatomy in a step-by-step -step way, you will be able to speak about it like this. And I also want to just take a moment to say, of course, we're not going to speak like this in our classes. This is not, you know, the level of sharing of anatomy that we're doing. When we share anatomy words with our students, anatomy cues with our students, we are sharing it in an understandable way, but there is absolutely no way we can, we can, I don't want to say dilute it. There's no way we can sort of work backwards to share it in an understandable way if we don't literally understand it. So we need to understand at the level of detail I'm sharing with you, this is not to impress you. This is not to say, look at all this stuff I know. This is to impress upon you. And I hope you appreciate that it's important for you as a yoga teacher to be able to just casually speak about anatomy like this so that you can go into your classes and share good cues. And even if you're not sharing anatomy-based cues, you still know what's going on. And it's not because you just want to know it. It's because you're going to see all sorts of variations in how people use these muscles. If we're just talking about the shoulder joint, you're going to see all different sorts of ways people do the poses when it comes to just the shoulder movements. And the only way you can really help them, really help them and change up the cues you're sharing and give them little, you know, sequences they can do at home and that sort of thing is if you know this stuff at this level of detail. Okay. So we have three more. The next one is the trapezius. The trapezius, if you take your right hand and you put it on the back of your neck and you kind of palpate down from the base of your skull, that's just about where the trapezius begins. And you're only gonna be able to palpate so far. And then you're gonna get, well, actually that's not true. You can palpate from the base of your skull down to the, uh, the occiput, which is the very base of the skull. And then you're gonna palpate out to the right and you're gonna come to the tip of your right shoulder. And then you're gonna go back to the base of the skull, switch hands, put your left hand at the base of your skull and you're gonna palpate out to the tip of your left shoulder. That is 
the course, the placement of the trapezius, the upper trapezius. And then if you can imagine from there, it also fans inward and goes all the way down to the middle of your back. So the trapezius is divided into an upper, a middle, and a lower portion. And the upper portion, because it fans out and inserts on the edges, I'm sorry, on the tips of your, the, the back of your shoulders, it is responsible for scapular elevation. So if you right now lift your shoulder blades up, that's the concentric contraction of your upper trapezius. If you drop your shoulder blades down, that's the action of your lower trapezius. If you squeeze your shoulder blades together, that's the action of your middle trapezius. So here we're talking about scapular movements, which are different from shoulder movements. Scapular movements are elevation, depression, adduction, abduction, upward and downward rotation. So the trapezius is definitely a muscle that if you see your students scrunching, um, not scrunching, if you see your students elevating their shoulder blades a lot, that's most likely because their tra upper traps are tight. This is super common. And a lot of people complain about, I have like a soreness in my neck, or I have a knot in my neck. I have a crook in my neck, like all those different terms. This is a really good area of the body to use myofascial release on. And if you'd love to be able to integrate myofascial release MFR into your classes, but you're not sure how, um, just uh, send me a DM on Instagram and I'll send you my MFR guide. So that is the upper trapezius. I'm not, well, it's the trapezius. We talked about the three parts. The next muscle is the levator scapula. If you take your right hand and you place it on the lateral aspect of your neck and you just palpate from behind your ear, down your neck on the side and down to, oh gosh, it doesn't, insert, it inserts on the scapula. So have your right hand, start with your, index finger and middle finger behind your right ear, palpate, you're, you're gonna kind of feel like a, like a ropey uh, muscle, keep palpating down and see if you can get to the top edge of your scapula. That's your levator scapula. And it just sounds like it is. It elevates, levates, I guess levitates your scapula. It's a scapular, elevator. <laughs> so it elevates the scapula. So it collaborates with the upper trapezius because remember I said upper traps elevate the scapula too. So this is also a muscle that can tend to be overactive and you might see your students doing certain poses where their shoulder blades are lifted way up and you want them to just soften them a little bit. And this could be the reason why if that muscle is kind of tight. And then the last muscle is the serratus anterior. It's got a serrated shape to it when you look at it in, um, in the cadaver. And if I've never told you before, or I have told you, or maybe you're new to the podcast, I had an amazing opportunity back in 2016 to go to Cadaver Lab in Arizona at the, um, the uh, Laboratory of Clinical Enlightenment, I think it was called, and I did dissection on cadavers. It's the most amazing experience ever. I had a chance when I was an undergrad at Boston University to do it because I was with the pre-med students, because I was in a PT program. And yet then they did all the pre-dissection for us. 
in Arizona, we started with people who had died like three days prior and they donated their bodies to science. And it was an amazing experience. So I've seen all these muscles in situ, like in, in, in the lab. And when you see, if you ever have the opportunity to do it, it's just an amazing experience. I only actually know of two yoga teachers who um, offer this sort of thing. Well, actually that's not true. I know of three. Um, but anyway, the point is when you see these muscles and you can see some really good stuff on YouTube where you actually get to see the muscles in the lab. And it's, it's really, it's worth doing a little digging around to find some good videos there. So the serratus anterior, it's got that serrated shape. If you take your right hand and you take your right hand under your left armpit and then place it on the side of your body and feel for where your scapula is on the left side, that's pretty much where the serratus anterior sits. It runs from the medial portion of your scapula and around the side of your body and inserts on ribs two through eight. And what it does is it protracts the scapula. It separates the scapula from your spine. So that's scapular abduction or protraction. And we use this, if you have people on hands and knees and they're doing cat pose, they're rounding their upper back, that's the action of the serratus. And the important thing for us as yoga teachers is we want people to use it in plank and low plank. They often don't because it happens to be a muscle that tends to get weaken people. So um, the serratus anterior is definitely a muscle you want to cue people to. So you can start them off in plank, hold them in plank and ask them to round their upper back and then talk to them about notice your shoulder blades moving away from the spine. This is the action of the serratus anterior. We want to see if you can maintain some of this as you come forward and lower into low push-up. So that's the serratus anterior. So to wrap up this conversation, I'm just going to give you a couple of cues that have to do with these muscles that we've been talking about. So now you can sort of see how it blends into the cues that you share. So one that I love using, although I definitely would recommend you only use this if you really truly can answer a question about it, is to roll the inner eyes of the elbows forward in downward dog. The reason uh, behind this cue is we want people to externally rotate because we don't want them in down dog dumping down towards the ground. And so we want them to externally rotate their shoulders. That means we want them to use the infraspinatus and the teres minor. Those are the two muscles I talked about earlier that are part of the rotator cuff that are responsible for external rotation. In order to get them to externally rotate, even though their palms are flat on the ground, we got to speak to something that those muscles do. And if you remember, both of those muscles insert on the humerus. Because the muscles are responsible for external rotation, it's going to rotate the humerus outward if you're in a down dog. And by outward, I mean towards the walls on the sides. So if someone is um, like, so let's say it like this. Imagine you're on a yoga mat, you're uh, in downward dog, and you've you're in a studio where there's walls to your, there's a wall to your right and a wall to your left. If you push away from the mat and you're down dog and you roll the inner eyes of the elbows towards the front of your mat, you're rolling open your shoulders. So that's external rotation and you're rolling. You could even say, roll your biceps outward or to the, to the walls on the side, I typically say roll the inner eyes of the elbows forward. Most people know what the inner eyes of the elbows are. 
if you see, this is another reason not to practice with your class. If you see when you say the cue that people are sort of moving their arms in weird ways, which you will see sometimes, I've seen this many times, that is a sign you need to reframe it, rephrase it to see if they get it. And then if they still don't get it, just quickly stop them and show them what you're talking about. And that's why this is only a cue to use if you really know the anatomy, because you don't want to get stuck in a place where you can't explain it. In plank, I already talked about cueing to the serratus. Put your folks in plank and have them press into a little bit of a cat pose to dome the upper back. And that will allow them uh, to feel the scapular abduction, protraction, and you can speak to the action of the serratus there. In upward dog, you can ask people to, and you probably already are, asking them to squeeze the shoulder blades together. That's the action, remember, of the middle trapezius. So the middle traps are going to help them with that scapular action uh, of scapular adduction. And then in warrior one, as you have your students reaching up to the sky, you may see a little bit of overactivity in uh, the traps and the levator scapula if they're super tight. Just don't ask your students to drop the shoulder blades. Drop is a pretty strong word. And when people hear drop, they tend to just really drop the shoulder blades. And you don't want people when the shoulders are in flexion, meaning arms up in the air, to aggressively drop their shoulder blades because that gets in the way of the upward rotation of the scapula that just naturally happens when the shoulders are in flexion. And if you ask people to drop the shoulder blades, it can actually kind of pull the head of the humerus out of the cup of the scapula a little bit and really get in the way of having a good connection between the humerus and the scapula. And you don't want that. So you can say to folks, hey, just relax your, sh relax your shoulders a little bit. And that tends to be a little bit of a softer cue rather than saying something really like, drop the shoulder blades, which people hear and they tend to just do, which means overdue. <laughs> um, okay, so one other thing I wanted to share now that we've talked about our anatomy piece is I wanna just share one mindset tip. And I'm gonna tell you that this mindset tip is coming from a guide. I have a, a guide on mindset tips for teachers. If you want it, just send me a DM on Instagram, mindset tips for teachers guide, and I will send it to you. Um, so the one tip I want to talk about is the mindset tip of shifting your perspective from how you feel to how you can be of service to them. And this has to do with those times where you're teaching and you feel like you're getting really nervous or you've lost your place in the sequence or you're worrying about what your students think all of a sudden, or maybe over time in the class you're teaching, you're starting to feel like you're getting really involved in this other story that's going on in your head. And it's you're finding it's hard to kind of right the ship. So one thing you can do is to just switch your focus from your own experience to them. And this can happen in a couple of different ways. And you can do a couple of things to get some quick wins. So you jumpstart um, moving yourself in the right direction. You can take a second as they're in a pose and you're holding them in a pose to feel your feet on the ground and take a couple take a couple of deep breaths. This will ground you, connect you to the parasympathetic nervous system and relax you a little bit. The next thing to do is to pick a student in the class, in the front of the class and set your eyes on them and start teaching to them. Look at how they're doing the practice, use cues that are working to them as if they're the only person in the room. This is, again, another reason why it's important to not practice with your class. 
When you start to look at this one person and teach to that one person, you are slowly going to loosen your attachment to the whole story you're telling yourself in your head. And it's going to hopefully, most likely, allow you to start to make the shift from your own experience to what's going on around you. And that's really where you want to be. You want to be in a mode of being of service to others. It's really hard, though, if you're all wrapped up in the stories in your head. And so what these two actions do is they bring you more into presence. They bring you more into your body, not your mind and all of the stories you're telling yourself. And then your focus on that person allows you to be outside of your own experience into the experience of other people. And that's what our job is as yoga teachers. It's to enhance the experience of other people. That's again, why we're not trying to practice, uh, we're not trying to teach from our practice. We're trying to teach <laughs> so that we're enhancing somebody else's experience and sharing information in kind of a neutral way that's not coming from our experience. And so doing those two things will, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the leap and say, will help you start to shift. Uh, from being wrapped up in these stories to a place where you can focus on being of service to others. And once you start that ball rolling, you're going to pick up momentum and then you're going to see that your cues are landing and then you're going to start to feel connection with your students. And once you get there, it's just this self-fulfilling prophecy in a good way in that you just start to get the momentum going of good energy and being of service. And that's why you're a yoga teacher because you want to help people. So that's the end of this episode. I want to just close with one thing. If you're listening and you have taken your 200-hour teacher training, but you're not teaching and you want to, so let's say you got out of your training and you couldn't find anything and now it's been a year and you've lost steam. Let's say that you graduated from your teacher training and for whatever reason life happened and you never got on with it to find uh, a way to to teach and you want to, but you're now feeling like you're not confident or you've forgotten everything you've learned, whatever the reason is, if you're out there, you invested in your 200 hour and you're not sure how to get things going so you can teach, so you can start teaching, reach out to me on Instagram. Tell me that you heard this episode and you want to talk. I'm looking for five teachers who currently aren't involved in another teacher training program and they're in that situation. They want to teach, but they don't know how to get started. So send me a DM on Instagram. Let's get some conversation going. And from there, I can let you know how I can help you. So thank you so much for listening. I really, really appreciate your time. I hope that you have enjoyed this episode and found it helpful. As always, send me your comments and thoughts on Instagram, or you can send me an email. And I hope you have a good rest of the week. And I will talk to you on the next show. Namaste. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening to this latest episode. And thank you so much for being part of my community and for spending some time with me here on the show. I wanted to wrap up this episode with just a quick note. I have a brand new recorded workshop page and I'm really excited to offer you an opportunity to watch recorded workshops whenever you want. I have the first installment of a workshop on the page on the website, and it is a short workshop all about 
how to give effective cues. And so all you need to do to watch this free workshop is go to my website, barebonesyoga.com, and you'll see the listing in the dropdown for recorded workshops. When you click that page, you'll see on that page, the link to sign up to watch that recorded workshop. I'll be adding more workshops in the future to this page. And it's a way that you can access educational and growth information for teachers without having to make a workshop at a particular time. I love to get together with teachers live, both in person and of course online, which is where I'm doing most of my interaction with teachers right now. However, I appreciate that sometimes people can't make a workshop or the time doesn't work for them or they're in a different time zone. So I want you to know that this page can be a resource for you so that as you're out there and you have questions about different things, or you have maybe a half an hour, 45 minutes that you wanna to devote to your continuing education as a teacher, you can just go to my website, pull up this recorded workshops page, and there will be resources there for you to take a look at. And all of the workshops that I share are all designed at number one, giving you information, and number two, giving you the skills that come from getting that information. It doesn't do you any good if I'm just giving you information on anatomy. If I don't show you how you can use it in your teaching to grow as a teacher, to grow your impact, then it's really not very useful. So all my workshops will have that dual focus sharing a little bit, and then showing you how to apply it. So I hope you'll check that out. If you have any questions or feedback, definitely let me know. Just send me an email, karen at barebonesyoga.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show. And I look forward to hearing from you. Namaste.